Welcome to a new edition of the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino series. On this episode, we talk with software developer and founder of CustomMobile.app, John Lee. His boutique agency builds individualized mobile apps for podcasts starting at just 25 bucks a month. Over this conversation, we cover his day job, business, and have a wide-ranging conversation about many things like podcasting, meeting dignitaries, and so much more. Enjoy this interview. Up front, thank you for taking a minute out. So if someone was to walk up to you and say, what do you do? How would you describe what you do? Well, I'm a product manager by day. I do have a day job as a software product manager. So I work with developers and designers and, and I build software products. But I do have a small business also on the side. So I'm a small business owner. And that's custommobile.app. I make mobile applications for content creators like yourself. I've been focusing on podcasters for the past year or so since I started my business. And the idea there is um, I enable podcasters to have their own branded app on the app stores. So if you wanted an app just for your show, you didn't want to share an app like Spotify or Apple Podcasts with all the podcasts out there, it would just be uh, an app for your show where your listeners could download and go in and listen to your content, but see other kinds of content, and ultimately take a call to action. That, I, I think, is the value of having um, your own app. That's what we provide at an affordable price. So I'm curious, you know, I'm, I'm doing the, the uh, podcasting, obviously, and I've just noticed that there's been a pretty big increase, not only in podcasts, but in the interest from the consumer. Are you noticing that there's been kind of a spike maybe because of the pandemic. Um, I'm not exactly sure why, but have you noticed that there's been a spike in not only interest, but in podcasting overall? Yeah, I think that trend's been going on for about 10 years, right? Um, I think it had, it did hit an inflection point probably a year or two ago. It, it's become a pretty hot area for business to come in, marketers, um, advertisers. But I fell in love with podcasts, like listening to podcasts, I want to say, five or six years ago, and I haven't looked back. It's the primary way I consume content now, just listening while I'm doing other things. As a father and a full-time employee, there's not much time to sit and watch content. So for me, it's been a great way to continue learning and listening to content while exercising and getting other stuff done physically. I think the one thing that I've noticed is, is that probably for a lot of podcasters out there, it's kind of a second job. It's it's something that people do in addition to what they're already doing. Mm-hmm. So as someone that's branding a custom app for people that have a second job, obviously mm-hmm. they need to hopefully make money off of what they're doing. What mm-hmm. what are podcasters doing to do that? Are they using Patreon to do that? Mm-hmm. Are they getting sponsors? Like how does a podcaster that has good content go out and garner some income so that they can actually pay for these things like custom apps that you have? Mm-hmm. How does that happen? Well, I think you mentioned it. It all starts with good content, right? If you don't have good content, you're not going to grow the listenership. You need to monetize your show. So it has to start with good quality content. Um, and then what I've seen with my clients is they're not huge shows. I mean, some of them are very large, but most of them are not. They grow their audiences slowly over time. And I think, I mean, from what I'm seeing and hearing, the trick is to monetize the audience you have. So making sure that your listeners are in touch with you and you're in touch with them and they have a path to, we call it conversion in like the business world, but 
converting listeners to customers. And that can look very different for um, each show. That conversion or call to action can be sign up to my email uh, my email list, sign up to my newsletter. Um, so a lot of podcasts have merchandise to help monetize the show. They may have branded hats and shirts um, as a way to generate income off their content. A lot of podcasters, like you said, have Patreon, a membership program, so that their listeners can contribute to the life of the show and it continuing growing. So growing that uh, paid membership and giving your listeners, however many there are, the opportunity to support the show and make that as easy as possible. I think these are some of the, the tactics I've seen for small and growing shows. As the show grows and, of course, it gets very popular and you have a very large listenership, then advertising makes more sense. Um, and then it's just about managing this, how quickly that show will grow and scale. It becomes a different animal, I think, at that point. But uh, the majority of content creators start their shows as side gigs, like you said, and it grows over time. And just being smart about the side project and it's having the intention to turn it into a self-sustaining business, um, having that mindset from the start, I think, really helps. How did you get into your line of work? How did you get into software development? Talk to me a little bit about kind of where you were born and raised and how you got this desire to do this. Yeah, this is a long process, actually. So I, I've only been in software for six or seven years. Uh, I got into it in my early 30s. So I had a whole life before then, obviously, um, studied a completely different subject in undergrad. I was in biology, I worked in nonprofit for a while. So it took me a couple of years to figure out what I wanted to do, but I kind of fell in love with um, what we would call today product management around six or seven years ago. Um, and, yeah, I've kind of moved my way into it, started in marketing, and then tried to move my way into it because I, I found myself just thinking about building my own products all the time outside of work, talking with friends, trying to think of apps to build, frankly. Um, like many people wanted to build an app, I still want to build an app. It's just I caught the bug then, and I've been moving my career in that direction ever since. Well, and you talk about yourself consuming podcasts, and I see that more and more on social media where when people travel or especially in commuter towns, people are consuming podcasts in a way that is, that, that's eclipsing radio. And my question is, you know, I've had a history in publishing before and newspapers are going away. Do you see that, pod, that, that radio stations are going to start kind of adopting that podcast format? How do you think that's going to affect the listening lounge? landscape for, for people that consume media in that way? Yeah, I think they are. Uh, already, radio stations are publishing their radio shows as podcasts. If they're not, they're in trouble. Um, but that is definitely the trend forward. I hardly turn on the radio. Um, the radio in the car, I mean, just from my personal experience, I basically listen to one channel, like the jazz, the local jazz channel. And it's only on, like, the short drives I would take from home to play date or picking up my son at school. For these short trips, I think the radio kind of makes sense. It's just something to turn on on a short trip. But on longer trips that we take, long drives to see the parents or on vacations. And recently I've been biking. So on these long bike rides, 
it's all downloaded podcast content on the phone. So I see, I mean, for myself, I hardly use the radio anymore. Um, all of my content and learning, and educational content, um, is consumed through podcasts. Yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, it totally does. And I'm, and I, my, my mind's kind of spinning here because I'm thinking as a jazz, my, my primary, um, you know, audio that I do has been jazz for quite a while and it's been interviews and programming. And where exactly are you located? We're in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Okay. And so you have a dedicated 24-7 jazz program up there? Yes. Yes. I think it's 101.1. I think they started just a couple of years ago. I think um, they were gone for a while and then then went up again. That's what I picked up from the radio station. Um, But, yeah, it's a dedicated 24-hour jazz station. You know, it's interesting, you know, coming from Kansas City, which is a cradle of jazz, we do not have that here. And, I mean, we have blocks on stations, and I'm on stations that aren't dedicated to jazz, and I have blocks on there. So I find it interesting when I hear about towns like Pittsburgh. Um, in fact, I just interviewed someone recently that um, we are a UNESCO creative city, and we teamed up with Pittsburgh to kind of, you know, extend our history of Kansas City and then Pittsburgh extended theirs to us, and we kind of did a uh, international jazz day meeting. So that was kind of interesting. Now, on this station, do they do jazz interviews? Is that something that you listen to that you're into in your podcast diet? Uh, I know they do interviews. I think if I uh, on the weekends maybe if I turn it on, sometimes I'll catch a part of it. It's not something that I would listen to personally because again, I use that station more as uh, like background music on short trips around town. Um, but a good friend of ours is a jazz musician and teacher at, at a local university. Maybe I can connect you guys and, um, to have an interview if you're interested. He's, he's a good friend. Our kids get together. And, and his style, I think, is quite unique. He incorporates African traditional folk music into jazz compositions. The one thing, when I hear you talk about how you grow a podcast, I've increasingly gotten into listening to more of those. And I go through Apple and I see what's rated. And there was one show that I've listened to that I've, what you're saying about growing your show and how you do it, I've actually listened enough to this show to see them doing exactly what you said. And it's a podcast called Here Be Monsters. Have you heard of that? I think so, but I haven't listened to it. What is it about? It's really interesting. The host is Jeff Entman, and what he'll do is he'll dive into all kinds of, like, deep, mysterious kinds of things about our world, whether it's, you know, right now I'm listening to one about, you know, early primates and and um, discovering kind of mysterious creatures and how we developed from hominids to where we're at now. And, I mean, there's all kinds of things. Like, there was one the other day I listened to her. It was a crime investigator, and it was a mom, and she talked about going to these crime scenes and how she had to try to act like she's living in the regular world, but her day job is this really stressful environment. But she wants to do it because it means a lot to her. And she, he just kind of delves into things that we kind of see, but we don't really dig in deep enough. But I see from what he's doing with how he's promoting a show with merchandising and Patreon and different things, you know, I've taken good notes, and it's a really good podcast, and it has a really good legion of people that listen to it. So I think that's the thing. At the end of the day, it's just like you said. If you have good content, you're going to bring people in. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for me, it's not even very much the quality of the audio. It's just the content. If I'm hearing something that 
is teaching me something that I want to learn. Uh, I mean, yeah, the, the audio quality. I'll I'll listen even harder through bad audio to get to the content. So, as a listener, um, that's just from my perspective. And I'll share it with friends and family who I think the content would help as well. That's probably the best way to grow. So, as somebody that consumes podcasts and you promote them, what what podcasts do you listen to? Um, that are, are you really impressed with, not only for content, but how they've marketed themselves and they've gone through the process and have developed themselves into kind of a podcast powerhouse? And, uh, I think my favorite podcast is called is a show called Unbe- Unbelievable with an exclamation mark at the end and a question mark at the end, Unbelievable. Uh, they're a show out of the UK, and they started as a radio show, um, I want to say, 12 years ago. So it's a long-running show. But from what I take, because I've been listening to them for many years now, they've grown a sizable audience, and they've grown to the point where uh, I think they've spun off into their own organization even, and um, they're fundraising kind of separately from the parent radio station. So that, I think, is a great story. Uh, A host that started a show 10-plus years ago and grew an audience over time through just great conversations. Uh, the show, the premise of the show is um, he brings together Christians and atheists, and they have pretty deep philosophical conversations, um, people who are experts in their field. And so it's, it's a meaty conversational discussion program. And, yeah, they've grown uh, a sizable, dedicated audience over time and have been able to make that financially sustainable and I know he's hired staff now, so yeah, it's growing well. You know, the one thing I noticed with this Here Be Monsters podcast that I've listened to is that, you know, at one point they got picked up by public radio, and as much as they were kind of ecstatic and happy that it happened, it seemed like things, the content and mood and mode of what they were doing kind of changed. Now, while there was financial relief, it, it seemed as though there was a little bit of them that lost that edge that they have. So my question to you is, is that when you think about the world of podcasts and obviously people want to get themselves funded, do you think it's good for people to stay independent and find more agro agro ways of keeping themselves funding so they retain that integrity of their show? Or do you think it's the ultimate goal to get picked up by a bigger fish that, you know, you can get funded by? Yeah. I mean, that to me just sounds like a very personal question. It really is up to the creator what their goals are for the show. Um, I can imagine creators having both of those uh, goals. The one creator just wanting um, to maintain creative control and not not give that up, um, and grow an audience maybe over time, like this like this show, unbelievable. I think they've definitely maintained their their mission and ethos and grown into other channels like conferences, in-person conferences, and and things to expand. But it feels like they've been able to maintain the spirit of that show. Um, and then for other creators, it may be to grow a show and sell it and make a lot of money and go on to the next show. So I think that's perfectly fine as well. I, I think it's a personal decision. What do you see the future of what you're doing in relationship to the growth of podcasting? I mean, we're coming out of this pandemic. It seems as though there's a part of this that's grown because people had more latitude to listen to audio. Um, 
and I guess this is almost kind of like that 90s dot-com boom kind of a thing. Do you continue to see this rate, like, going higher and higher in the levels that we can't even imagine, or do you think it's going to plateau? plateau? What, what's your feeling on it? Yeah, I don't think audio is ever going to be as big as video. Um, I think, naturally, video is so much more engaging and um it just captures the attention in a way that audio can't. But I think just the way books are never going to go out of style. Um, I love reading. It's a different experience. I love listening to content. It's a different experience from watching content. And for for many, many people who prefer that experience to um, watching content, I think it will continue to grow. And it'll be, the, it'll be here forever. Audio was here before video, right? Um, and I think... Yeah, it's never going away. It'll continue to grow. Um, I, yeah, I just for I think for older people maybe um, audio definitely has some advantages. Like I mentioned, the fact that I don't have to sit in one place and watch something. Um, I can be driving. I can be multitasking. I think is what I'm saying. That benefit is huge for a lot of people. So I, I see the medium definitely growing and. Coming into its own from a software, you know, from a, from the the computing world, so to speak. Who have you admired the most? Who do you like, company or individual in the world of technology? Who have you admired the most? Mm, that's a good question. I work in technology, but I wouldn't call myself like a technologist, and I don't really follow um, the trends or the industry that closely. I just I do have a day job. I focus on that and, and the industry I'm in there, but. It's kind of cliched, but I do think Apple's products are beautifully designed and they've just thought through everything, right? From the packaging to the unpackaging of their products, the whole customer experience, they've thought through carefully. And so I admire that. I admire companies that can uh, do their products and think um, and like serve their customers. Uh, from the beginning to the end, like the entire thing, the, the experience of purchasing all the way to you know, unpacking and even returning or and getting customer service, like companies that can think through the entire customer and user life cycle and do that well, I find very impressive. Are there products so if, that you admire in that way? Um, that yeah, I, I am intrigued because my, my day job, I'm an IT technician, so I, I'm in a uh, rather large school district in the Kansas City area, and I go and service, you know, um, all kinds of technology, and I've done web hosting and different things. I agree. I think Apple has been an interesting thing. I was kind of worried a little bit after Steve Jobs left how they would continue to do what they do. But I also saw a trend. I ran a couple computer labs in the early 2000s, and I remember we got a grant and got at, got some Apple machines in there. And that was when they weren't popular at all, and they thought they were going to go out of business. And I just remember seeing those, and it was just like a spaceship dropped them off. They were totally different from everything else that we had ever seen, coming from that gateway Dell, kind of that cookie-cutter mold of what was going on. So I just think the evolution of all of this, and even with Google coming in, I have a lot of respect for how Google does, what they've done, and how they've grown not only from, you know, just having a browser, but, you know, I have home internet with them. We were one of the initial cities in the world in Kansas City to get it, so I have it at home. And all these years I've had an internet, I have had the most success with Google out of all of them. It's been uninterrupted. It's been easy. 
everything has been really good. And of course, they have YouTube TV and all of that. So the way that they service and the way they do things has been very impressive, along with the whole idea of Apple, too. Yeah, absolutely. If you could meet anybody on the planet right now, anybody alive that you admire or look up to or have looked up to, who would it be? Who would you want to t- sit down and talk to? No one comes to mind, frankly. Yeah, I don't um, I don't really care to meet anyone in person. Who would you want to meet? Is there someone that you would love to have coffee with? Oh man, I would love to I would love to either meet Bill Clinton or Barack Obama and just talk to him okay. just for a minute. Just just to be next to that level of um just who they are and what they've done. I think that would be a wonderful thing. It kind of boggles my mind that people can have as big of jobs as, as those people, like presidents, for example. Yeah, like, I don't understand how presidents and CEOs and prime ministers, like, how, how do these people do their jobs? So maybe that's, yeah, that's something I'm curious about, too. It'd be great to see if they're like me, like you and me, or are they truly very different in, in the way they think and yeah, maybe what their capacity is as um, planners and communicators. Yeah, that'd be interesting to see. But personally, I don't admire, I don't, uh, I'm not a fanboy of anyone in particular. Well, you know, the thing I've found interesting about doing podcasting is there's been so many people that I've talked to, whether it's in the world of music or beyond. And at the end of the day, it's, and especially in jazz, the higher up you go, the most legendary that they are, they are the nicest people ever. That's been the great thing about being involved with jazz. They are kind, they are humble, they are grounded, they're human. And I think that's the thing that I've noticed more and more with doing a lot more podcasts with people that aren't necessarily musicians, is that there is this level that's totally human. Like those people that run big companies or that are politicians that have to go through all of this constant critique, at the end of the day, they do exactly what you and I do. They wake up, they have Mm -hmm. a thing that they're going to do that day, they do the best that they can do. And they're just they're just trying to grow and experience this life, and you realize that on a very cellular level, and that's what I've noticed about so many people is that you know um, I was I was talking to a musician yesterday, and her husband is the brother of tennis player John McEnroe, and he was one of the first people that got COVID, and it and and when he got it, they didn't realize what it was all about, and they were still theorizing like what this virus was and they pretty much figured out that it was airborne but they couldn't even get a test at the time and they were trying to give him preferential treatment because he is a celebrity so to speak and he refused to get celebrity treatment i was just thinking about how amazing that story was and on that like human level he didn't want to be above anybody else so i think the thing that i've noticed with a lot of these people is they'll surprise you. I mean, even as much as we know about a politician or a president, I think there's a lot of things that would surprise you about how they would do their lives that would go against what we would expect. So I think that's the, even with podcasting and what we're doing, like there's so many things that you learn about people that take that perception and move it into reality. And it's kind of a, a comforting thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that doesn't surprise me all that much. I feel like in general, if you're going to be the best at anything and if you end up at the top of any organization, yes, you're very talented, but I talented in many different ways at the same time. Like you have to be a great communicator, a great relationship builder, 
very intelligent. Um, so there are all these varied skills that the person um, normally would have to be very good at to get to that position of leadership. So it doesn't surprise me all that much that many of those many of those leaders are also decent human beings because um, I don't think you can get to that point. Um, you can't shake it, I don't think, for very long uh, and get to that position of leadership. I'm sure there are some, but um, yeah, in, as a general rule, that's, that's kind of my hypothesis. Well, and I think that's interesting about going full circle with what we were talking about with podcasting and your branding these shows. I think that's the same thing with people that have these shows. It's a delicate mix of how they meter this talent to create good co- content, but on the back end, they don't, you know, they don't have a company working for them, so they have to kind of do this on their own. And then if they get good, they have a company like you that can brand their own channel and their own app, and then it starts kind of branching out into something that's more of a brand because I think it's an idea, and you have to kind of learn as you go because that's, you know, when you have a dream, it's like all of these other things are into it that you don't know about, so you have to do the best you can, like you said, with these people. There's so many things they have to be good at. You can't just be pigeonholed into one thing. You have to be very diversified to, I would imagine, be successful at what you do. Yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, that's, I feel like every podcaster is a small business owner, is an entrepreneur, and there are way more things we don't know than we do know, obviously, and we need to know. So it's a great learning journey as well. I, I feel like starting a business has been an incredible learning journey. And I'm realizing as I get older that there isn't many things better than learning. It's it's something that we took for granted as younger people. But growing up, it's probably one of the best things there is about life. And it it can never stop. Yeah, I have a couple of teenagers at home, and I realize that, you know, there's that thing in your teen years where you haven't figured out, like, it's absolute, like, you know, parents and whoever else around you that keep telling you the same thing, you're like, you got a better answer for it. And when you watch that in person and think about your life, like later on in life, they're going to realize what people were saying around them, and you just have to experience it. There's just, that's a part of growth, you know. Um yeah. I feel like, yeah, going through the school system, a lot of the, the emphasis is on learning the content, like learning what you need to know to make the grade, um, move up, you know, get through the system, pass the test. Um, and then it took me many years after school, like graduating from university and living as an adult to maybe relearn the joy of learning in and of itself. And I think that's what really carries people through the rest of their lives. It's the joy of actually learning and not being maybe daunted by the fact that we don't know everything right now, not being so stressed about that, but getting excited about the process of learning and the privilege and an opportunity to learn. Uh, So that's something I'm working on on myself. Well, and I think sometimes with kids, they, and teenagers, they think, I don't need to know this for the future. And I try to explain to them, you know, your brain's a muscle. It's the strongest muscle in your body. So even if you don't necessarily think you need that, it's going to develop your brain in a way that will allow you to have more capacity for the things that you do want to learn. And and what if you do use it at some point, you know? I mean, even if it's a language or it's some level of math, it's still exercising these things that make people like former presidents do what they do because they had an insatiable curiosity for knowledge and it just allowed them to be more well-rounded. But when you explain that to the youth, it's, I think sometimes they glaze over. They don't get it. 
I think you have to be around on the planet long enough to get that notion. Yeah, no, that's fair. I mean, even for me, it's difficult to put the time in to learn things that don't um, that aren't applicable to my life immediately in the short term. So I definitely can understand that feeling. But yeah, I mean, it's good to have a well-rounded education, and we all have to learn things. I mean, everything becomes difficult, right? When you, even if you love a certain topic, when you start to dig deeply into it, it get, it gets difficult, and there are um, uh, sluggish parts to it that we have to slog through, um, maybe for it to open up and and we get to a deeper understanding and enjoyment of the topic. So I think, yeah, building that resiliency, that um, not being put off by when things get hard, because everything gets hard eventually, and if you really want to go deep into any subject or get really good at any particular skill, there's practice involved, there's um, that consistency and discipline involved. So, yeah, I think all that is just part of growing up. Well, and I think about the horn of plenty that we have and the war of knowledge out there, and I think about that kind of like podcasts. I mean, if you really start looking in, there are so many podcasts. It's, I think sometimes it's almost too much for people to wrap their brains around. You, you really almost have to go in with the goal in mind. I mean, I've gone through some of the top ten lists and been successful, but I think there are so many out there that you just kind of have to not have an idea of, you know, I guess it's kind of like going into Netflix or something. You just have to be in that mood and say, what do you want? you know, and kind of go from there. So, I mean, recently, um, you know, like you said, there's just too many podcasts and I don't look at any top ten lists or anything like that to discover new content. Recently, the way I've discovered new shows is I need, I want to learn something. So I'm in product management and I wanted to learn a particular aspect of it called ethnography. So I use my Google podcast app as a search engine. I go in there and I type product management ethnography and see what episodes appear. And I, test try the episodes I find there and if I like a show then I'll subscribe so that's been a way that I've been discovering uh, new shows to follow uh, as regards my like, professional development I feel like yeah it's podcasts are going to be like Google the way we search Google for content and discover maybe blogs to follow um, podcasts are going to just be another way to search for content specifically and discover new shows that way I think and that's kind of the way everything is anyways with social media anyways. I mean, there's a logarithms. It's like if you search for something on, say, Amazon, it gets replicated into another platform. And I think there's going to be more increased um, ways of, like, monitoring our tastes and um, marketing those to us. So, um, so John, you, um, you, you're, you build individualized apps for as little as 25 a month. Tell everybody where they can find this, any more information on you and what you do, where can they go? So they can find my business at custommobile.app. And like you said, it's, we try to make it as accessible as possible for any size podcaster. So $25 a month will get you uh, a branded app for your show. It's fully featured, very fully customizable. Your listeners can check us out there at custommobile.app. And if they come and mention your show, Joe, uh, we'll give them their first month free just to try it before they commit to uh, the membership. When I use Patreon myself as a membership platform. So they can find me there. John, hey, thank you for opening up. This has been great, man. Good luck with everything. Thank, thank you so much, Joe. Great talking to you. Good luck. Great talking to you, man. Thanks for listening and tuning in to another famous interview with Joe Domino, where we cover the world of art, literature, technology, and music around the globe. Most of the music on these episodes comes from Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. 
If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino in the iTunes Store. You can watch this on the Neon Jazz YouTube channel, and for everything Joe Domino related, go to JoeDomino.com, where you can donate to the cause and keep us going via PayPal or Patreon. Until next time. <laughs> <laughs>